My name's Penny Ferguson. I am founder and CEO of The Living Leader, utterly passionate about leadership and probably pretty well known for the personal leadership program, which has now had over 60,000 people go through it. And this is now um, the first one in the series of the podcasts that we're going to be doing on a pretty regular basis. And today I'm absolutely delighted to say that I am speaking with the wonderful Sophie Lawler. She is an incredibly special lady. She took over about 18 months ago um, as CEO of uh, Total Fitness. And I think that the transformation that has occurred since she's taken over is nothing short of miraculous. She's a very special lady. I feel very privileged that she's given up the time to come and speak with us today. And I think uh, you will find her story and her journey really inspirational to listen to. Hello, here I am back um, having the very good fortune to talk to another one of our amazing clients. And this time I'm talking to Sophie Lawler, who is CEO of Total Fitness and who became a client about a year ago. So I'm going to be talking to her about leadership and we will go wherever it needs to go. So hello, Sophie. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Absolute pleasure. So tell me, first of all, what is it that got you interested enough to pick up the phone and talk to me about leadership? Oh, you're such a delight. Um, <laughs> well, I think I'd been enrolled for a little while, so I started with Total Fitness in June, June of last year. So it's coming up for about 18 months now. And... Um, I knew exactly what the problem was with the business after spending a bit of time listening. And it was all around about the people and the culture. It was exceptionally disengaged. Um, and the churn of my people was exceptionally high. As a result, um, there was very little ownership of the business, if you like, and very little sort of purposeful behaviour. Um, so I did a lot of listening, sort of diagnosed what was wrong with the business, established that there was an awful lot of work to be done with the culture. And I was interviewing chairman and um, interviewed a chap called Paul Stobart. And I was describing to him the challenge in the culture, um, which, I mean, I know how to verbalise it now with the PLP common language, which was an exceptionally over-managed organisational approach, um, a real sort of imbalance on that side. And he said to me, well, Sophie, if this goes nowhere, what you're describing perfectly suits the requirements of a particular leadership programme and I must introduce you to Penny. And that's how we were introduced and that's how I became aware of your leadership programme. And I remember that day we met at Paul's office and you were describing to me sort of the, the things, the foundational tenets of the PLP, if you like, and it was just ding, 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 ding. That's exactly what I need. And it sounds very authentic to me as well because I do bring a very sort of specific leadership philosophy of my own to things and it was just it it felt so fateful and I was like well I don't care we've got to do it that's that and away we went so what was the outcome of them doing it <laughs> tell me about your journey ah oh, the uh, journey's long and, and is ongoing uh, <laughs> I think there's no it's no secret for any of the stuff that, that I've done publicly that, that Total Fitness was in, a, in at the bottom of a turnaround situation, uh, really. So the journey will continue. But I think there's been a personal impact. 
there was an immediate impact for my team and then obviously there's the wider business impact so it depends really which angle you look through it um, I think I've, I've had a bit of a personal journey with it for me personally I found it very impactful anyway um, so I was an immediate advocate of it it was a very powerful three days for me for my team going through it together, particularly in my first year, when we're all sort of sounding each other out, really, and we were only sort of four, four months into our journey together, and we were still sort of forming, really. We didn't really know each other. I just sort of piled in and started moving and showing some belief and some momentum, so everybody was still a little bit unsure. Um, so there was a team impact as well. Um, exceptionally galvanising, Equally, it exposed, exposed where we had some imbalance in the team and, you know, maybe some people were not going to come on the journey and I needed to understand that straight away, to be clear. Um, but it really galvanised us together. It was the most brilliant three days and we still reminisce about it today. We were reminiscing about it last night, actually, because it's a, about a year now since we did it. So there was a team impact and it's made us exceptionally effective together. Um, predominantly because we trust, we came out trusting each other more yeah. and being exceptionally aware of the things that we assume about each other, their strengths, their weaknesses, their drivers. Um, and so it, it, it immediately sort of levelled the playing field. And when you have that sort of trust and authenticity between each other, then it's exceptionally powerful as a team. And then, of course, then there's a the wider business impact. So at the same time, I took... Um, uh, the club management through and the regional management through we went through with separate teams but but we went, came through uh, with with one of your programs so we did that together and then slowly but surely the following year so that's this year crikey um it feels like a long period of time but a very short period of time it's only this year um i became a master trainer in march um alongside one of our regional managers an operational manager actually not not a not a people people team manager which yeah. might be the traditional approach but we wanted to give it real credibility and started to roll out the program um, across the course of the year to a very specific target population pen so we, we call them the heads of department in our clubs there's about five of them in each club um, and we identified through our listening and engagement exercises that they were the least engaged in the business okay. um, and the most challenged in terms of do they feel uh, developed, cared about, and really are they owning their behaviour? Um, <laughs> so we've slowly been getting our way through the 100 or so HODs that we have in the business, and by the end of the year we'll be nearly there. But we've done that internally in a really sort of owned and authentic manner, um, which has been phenomenal for my growth as well as a business. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey for me too. How did you find the certified training programme? <laughs> Oh dear, I better be really honest because you're only going to ask Tasha, <laughs> who was my brilliant trainer, Tash Bridget. She was uh, absolutely awesome. Um, it was amazing. But if you'd asked me at the end of day one, I think I would have said quite the opposite because <laughs> I turned up on day two, and you know this because I was really honest, I turned up on day two and had an open and honest conversation with Tasha. I said, Tash, I don't think I can do this. This is so intense. I, you know, I, I, I think I rocked up on day one thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm a leader of a business. Of course I can do this stuff. But of course there's a functional skill of being a learning and development professional, and there's a lot of that skill that probably I underestimated. Um, 
And then there's sort of the deep knowledge, the really deep knowledge of the programme that you need. And I underestimated on both counts, I think. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, I had quite a rude awakening. But I think by the end of day three, um, and Tasha was brilliant with me that day, actually. She just sat and listened to all of my concerns, um, showed great leadership. And then by the end of day three, I'd really formed some brilliant bonds with the other three people that I was learning to master train yeah. with. And that's something brilliant. You come out with some really special relationships. And I was just starting to own it a little bit in my own way. Um, one of the things that I'd struggle with it is, is that, and I, you know, I struggle with it, it's just one of my own development stretches. I wanted to do it justice and I wanted to do it like you. Um, <laughs> Trying to be somebody else is just completely inauthentic and you just can't do no. it. Uh, it's all persona, no character. So I had to really, uh, well, just let it all go to start with and learn to own it myself. Yeah. Um, it, with absolute integrity to the programme, but own it in my own way. And I think by the end of Wednesday, day three, I'd, I'd sort of gotten there. And by day 10, I flew through my final sign-off, went straight into my first pilot the week after. So I'd really, oh, really given quick. myself like a, yeah, okay. uh, a, a, a tough gig, went straight into my pilot the week later. And it was, it was exhausting, but oh my days, what a gift to give. It's, you, you're knackered by the end of day one when you're delivering a program, but it's just, you come back on day three and you realize what you've done for people. Um, and it's, it's just unbelievable absolutely unbelievable because you can see that you're mo well you're moving people and if you're moving people then you're moving a business so the results aren't going to come quickly for social fitness we've got a long journey ahead but at least as a ceo i can see see the impact we've just got to wait for it to break out if that makes sense yeah oh, it was just bloody brilliant one of the things that's um interesting is you are in the minority in that we only have a few ceos who've done this Paul Stobart being one of yeah, them, uh -huh. uh, Nigel Parkinson um, being another one, but it's few and far between. Mm. How important do you think it is that a CEO actually goes through this? Um, I, well, I think I've only got to ask my delegates, and you see it, and you you hear it in the feedback on day three, and you you see it in the in the sort of written feedback. But I mean, number one, they're astonished. Oh my days, I'm a cleaning attendant and I've got three days with the CEO. That I feel so valued. Um, they feel a bit terrified to start with, but the moment your, your sort of introductions and your mask session is done, then you know it's all out the window. So they feel really valued. And then the other huge impact of doing it yourself is it's just so much more authentic. And it just means so much more to them. Um, it, I, I, can't ex I can't describe to you how important it is for those people. And it's also exceptionally levelling. Um, and for a female CEO, that's quite important, that your, your people realise that you're just another person. You're just another person. You're full of self-doubt. And you're full of exactly the same sort of lesser strengths that the other people have. And it makes them want to overreach as well. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my days, Sophie didn't know she could do it either. I thought she knew it all. And when you're standing in front of them saying, I don't, I don't have all the answers. And you're talking about 
leadership as listening rather than telling because you don't you can't assume that you've got all of the answers and great leadership about being letting other people find their own way rather than you bringing the own solutions it's quite it's quite astonishing for people and when you're when you're the person who's really telling them through a leadership program i don't have the answers we're going to find it together the responsibility that they come out with is quite phenomenal so it really underpins foundational models like the responsibility model because they've sat with the ceo who has said we're going to do this together it's not about me i think it's amazing and we'll talk in a minute about the results you that you are actually getting because you know you say it's going to take time but already you're absolutely moving steaming ahead in the most yeah. extraordinary way so we'll talk about that in a minute but I'd like to know your take. You've worked on, in various companies. One of the things that I invariably ask people when they come through a program with me is very early on, I'll say to them, tell me, do you think you're more towards management or leadership? And the more senior they are, the more likely they are to say, oh, I'm a leader. You know, I'm absolutely <laughs> sure I'm a leader. <laughs> and people genuinely believe they are. But of course, we're then able to show them hard facts within no time at all that they may be a leader in their heart, but what the behaviour is, is straightforward management. And that seems to happen again and again. It's as though people don't really understand what leadership means and how some of the behaviours are actually very simple, but for all the best reasons in the world, they don't demonstrate them. Mm. Have you been in companies, first of all, like that? And B, why do you think it happens? Yes, I absolutely have. 100%. And... Um you know, one of the things that I enjoy about the programme is being able to bring some of those experiences through. Yeah. Um, and they really resonate. It, they really resonate with my team members. Why do I think it is? Well, there, there, is, there is this point. You, you, you made a great point about they believe they are, but actually when we, when we make them aware that maybe that's, that's maybe not leadership... There is this point around about, I believe I am this way, but my behaviour says something else. So there's something about awareness without a shadow of a doubt. And there's something about, well, I'm, think I'm thinking this. So clearly everybody understands it. And there's, this, there's always this perception gap between your belief and your behaviour without a shadow of a doubt. I think additionally, you know, People, people come to work, particularly uh, leaders who are invested in the growth of their business, uh, they come to their business with the best of positive intent. Yeah. The best positive intent. Nobody cares about the business more than the leader at the end of the day. Um, particularly in turnaround businesses, they're not easy <laughs> at all. So you're only going to do it in a sector or for a business that you really, really believe in. And it's almost quite difficult to rein that, rein that in, that sort of intensity, yeah. if you like. And then there's also the challenge that um, I, do, I do have with my team and we've been on our own journey because I have a lot of, um, I work, it's the fitness industry and the fitness industry uh, tends to attract a certain type of person and then retain them because we love the industry. There's something very specific and sort of gritty and purposeful about the fitness industry. So once you're in, you really can't get out. But what it means is that at a senior management level, you've been there and you've done it. I was a fitness coach when I was at university. Yeah. 
I was a general manager holding the keys, not having a clue what to do, but finding my way. Um, <laughs> I've worked in a marketing team. I, 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 so for me, I'm a, I'm a very broad generalist. So wrestling with that, I know what to do in that situation, in you, that sort of tension in you, while you're trying to let somebody else find their way and knowing when to push and pull. You will revert to type an awful lot when you've been in that sector for a long time because yeah. you know what to do and you yeah. want to fix it. Yeah. So again, it does come back to this positive intent point. But yeah. The awareness about what your behaviour says is, is, is critical, which is the, the great point that you make about when you actually talk to somebody about what leadership is. is a, you it, know. it is interesting because... Um, I mean, you know, I've told you that when I first started running these programs, I don't think I understood leadership. It's mm. only through really running them, delivering them again and again and again, I became more and more aware that a lot of people don't actually really understand what leadership is. Mm. Um, they're just damn good managers. They care so much. They want to give people all the solutions, all the answers. And as you say, they've got the experience, they've got the background, they've got the knowledge, they've been through times where they've got it wrong. And I'm sure you've heard me say I'm so cynical about the way people are normally promoted. You know, they, get, they go home on Friday as a salesman and they come back on Monday as a manager. And there's meant to have been some sort of osmosis over the weekend that tells them they know how to do it. And of course, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's a different skill set. Yeah. And nobody's ever bothered to tell them, actually, you require something different here. Mm. So they think, oh, my role is now to tell people what to do. Yes, and this, and this phrase of lead by example, yeah. which in some ways is really helpful, but in some ways really unhelpful. Yeah. Because what it suggests is, well, I can do this really well, so then if I just do it exceptionally well around other people, <laughs> well, then I'm managing them and then I'm leading them. Well, well no, you don't have to do it. You have to inspire yeah. other people into action. Yeah. It's, um, so I find that, that little nuance a little bit unhelpful at times. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's a bit of a, a bit of an interesting one. So now, talk about results, Sophie, because I know that you've achieved amazing things. You're up for awards and all sorts of things <laughs> for precisely the amazing turnaround, and you've staggered the equity investment company. Oh, you're so put, generous. You know, they just can't believe what you've achieved. So just talk a bit about that. Oh, you're very generous. Um, well, I think for a, for a start, it's most definitely not me. Um, I have. I believe very strongly, and I did when I stood up in front of the business a year ago, that the business needs more leadership at all levels. It's not about the leadership team. It's leadership at all levels, which is one reason I love the programme, yeah. because all of the leadership tools are accessible, and it's something that we talk about all the way through. Does that feel like something you can do, or only the leadership team can do? Yeah. Uh, no. Leadership is all the way down. So it's not me. It's the power, it's the, it's the, the sort of power of, of the people and the critical mass at the end of the day. But the results have been phenomenal. They, they've, they've, they've terrified me <laughs> somewhat in that I, oh, <laughs> and, and they've created some great problems, you know. Our, our membership growth has been so great this year, we, despite very limited investment, that somehow we've got to work out, oh, crikey, that plan that we were thinking about that we were doing in 2021 well, heavens above, we're going to have to work out how to prepare the business 
to go to market for some capital in 2020 because our because because our growth is good enough that we could go and we could go and secure more investments. So we better get our plan for how we're going to step change the business. So uh, it has been phenomenal. And when you talk about growth of a of a of a health club business, the top line growth is the membership growth. Um, and we're a mature business, so it's most definitely the most challenging. I've worked in the fitness industry a long time, and the only way to grow a mature fitness business is, is quite often by dealing with efficiencies and disposing of assets and, and organic or inorganic growth at a strategic level. Never on mature, like-for-like growth. Same clubs, same product. Same clubs, same product. Our membership has grown by 10%. Ten percent. So we opened the year on a on around about eighty thousand members, and we'll close the year hopefully on upwards of ninety thousand members. Wow! Now that's like having two new clubs. Yeah, amazing. That's the growth associated with two new clubs, but on the existing cost base. Because in a health club business, the top line growth will drop straight to the bottom line because it's just a fixed cost fixed yeah. cost business. So. You can imagine that growth drops straight through to revenue, straight through to EBITDA. So that's the phenomenal result that we've had. But everybody, everybody then sort of says, and I sit regularly around the table with the other industry CEOs, and they're like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> what are you doing over there? Uh, have you invested? Not really. Okay, okay. New, new products, innovation? Not really. I haven't really had much time for that, to be honest. What, what is it? No, oh, people power. Is it what, pu- puppy power? No, people power, people power. <laughs> no, no. Have you been discounting? No, and we haven't. We haven't even dropped our prices. In fact, they've gone up a little bit. Um, it, 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 it drops jaws in the industry. Our little business, our little mature 17 club business coming out the blocks with 10 percent what's underneath it though yeah sorry what's underneath it so the the industry wants to talk to me about the top line but i i must admit pen on a day-to-day basis i don't look at it because that's the output yeah i look at the employee engagement side of things which was the stuff that was really broken so the level of connection to the business and the level at which we retain our teams and it's actually that it's that trajectory that's growing that one over there that's just the output. I can't control that over there. No. I can control this bit here. Yeah. And I can work on this bit over there. And that one's doing the exciting stuff, actually. And then our customers are a little bit more engaged as well. So our NPS, our net promoter score for our customers, is going up. And then this stuff over here just sort of happens. The membership growth and the revenue growth, that happens just as a result. We're not massaging it we're not messing around with it so although you know my my ceo peers in the industry are in you know they want to talk about this stuff over here and then they i i look at those charts over there they're the ones that we talk about at board level you're very lucky to have a, a, a having chosen the chairman that you did because that's exactly where he comes from all the time people first you're going to enjoy um talking to chris tomorrow evening i'm sure We've i just will. met he mm-hmm. comes yeah. from exactly the same place I'm sure I will. And it's been quite a journey for me. I can't wait to chat to him, actually, because it's been quite a journey for me. Because I guess I arrived at Total Fitness with a great belief in the business. But I'd sort of 
had a hunch that it was the power of people that would do it, but I haven't oh. been able to do it before. Why? I haven't been doing it for a oh. start. It's my first CEO position. Okay. So it's the first time I've been able to build a strategic agenda and base it purely around the people. Now, where I worked for businesses before where we've had a people agenda, I look back now and I, I realise that it's sort of tinkered around the edges a little bit. Yeah. Whereas I think this time round, we really have, maybe it's because the business was sort of at the bottom of its turnaround, we've been able to almost sort of baseline it and start again. Um, and we've, we've really put, sort of put it front and centre. So I talk about strategic objective number one of Total Fitness. We only have four, but number one is connect the people better to the business and keep them for longer. And the, the PLP was a big pillar of that. Yeah. Um, started with purpose, then values, then leadership philosophy. That, that's the number one. That's it. That's the reason it's number one. And then there's three others that talk about, um, you know, fixing the platform, you know, the less, the less exciting stuff, the, less, uh, the more sort of crunchy stuff, marketing and conversions. And, um, yeah. Is anything at all beginning to change on your turnover of staff? Oh, well, that's it. That's when I reference sort of the charts that I look at, the, the stuff that is actually driving that stuff over there, yeah. So um, we sort of look at about 10 KPIs as a board. Yeah. And so the first one we look at is strategic objective number one. These two things about connection to the business and keeping them for longer. So we look at... Um, we always track the number of vacancies in the business because it tells you a little bit about churn and then we can understand you know, where they are, how quickly we're filling those gaps. Um, so last month I closed in the month with 13 vacancies in the business, which still sounds a lot, but my month-on-month -month average was well over 50 a year ago. So now I'm only <laughs> carrying 13 uh, at last month. Wow. And then the other sort of key, key sort of, one that we look at is um, the proportion of team members that have been in role for less than 12 months. So if they've been in role for less than 12 months, then you could arguably say they're not particularly effective in role. They haven't been around for long enough, uh, basically. So what's the service profile? And when I first joined the business, more than 50% of my team had been in role for less than 12 months. 52%. More than more than 50%. Right. It's like flying a plane with like one engine, right? God. And then, of course, if you've got half of your workforce that are less than 12 months in role, then what's that doing to the other half who are persistently having to onboard new people? And, yeah. oh, really? And it affects their efficiency as well because they can't be 100% effective in role because they're spending their time onboarding other people yeah. so really the impact is even further yeah so i could say i'm flying a plane with half an engine really so it dropped below 40 percent for the first time last month so 37 percent of my workforce have now been enrolled for less than 12 months which is still an awful lot yeah i've got a long way to go but to go from 52 to 37 yeah. in a year when it's not something that you can really move very quickly because it's you know it sort of tracks along the calendar year is um that's what's driving. That's what's driving. There's quite the top a few. Line. This is what I find so interesting. I mean, obviously, you're doing a lot of other things as well. But people talk about leadership as soft skills. Seeing the results you're getting, how the hell can they call that soft skills? <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which brings me back to this conversation that I have in the industry where they go, well, no, 
it's not it's not people power it's not leadership <laughs> I think it's amazing so tell me what impact do you think it's had on you personally um oh crikey the total fitness journey or the PLP side of things whatever you like or both actually um it's interesting because it's coming up for a year since our first leadership summit. I'm doing quite a bit of reflecting at the moment on my own journey, trying to work out what it is I've learned because I've learned so much. Um, and I, I think actually that's the impact. I've learned such a great deal. I'm far more trusting of others for a start. I'm, I really truly now understand the power of sharing a challenge and shared ownership of a challenge and I think I got it but I think before taking the leadership role the job um, I guess I hadn't had the opportunity to really witness the power of trusting in others and taking on a shared challenge and really bringing people on your journey with you um, and so one of the questions that's often asked um, if you're talking to somebody about being a CEO, which is a fairly hot topic for a girl CEO at the moment, is it, is it not really lonely? I'm like, no, not at all. I was terrified of this job, Penny. I didn't know that. Well, I, I was talking to a guy recently at, a, at an event and he, the first question, I didn't know what the questions were going to be. Um, he said to me, when did you know you wanted to be a leader? I said, well, I didn't. He said, when did you know? Surely you did. When did you know that you wanted to be a CEO? I said, well, I didn't. <laughs> he was like, okay. <laughs> I could see behind his eyes he was thinking, oh, my days, this is going to be the longest 20-minute interview I've ever done. <laughs> um, I said, well, let me explain. Well, for a start, I didn't know I could. I didn't know I could. Um, and I was talking to a, a whole bunch of, of peers of mine, professional peers that I trust, um, about Total Fitness. And I had offered myself to Total Fitness to the, to the, uh, to the shareholders um, on a day rate for some consultancy because I could see it was a middle market chain. Really? I've, been, I've worked in middle market fitness for ages. So I approached them and said, you know, I'm picking up consultancy work at the moment while I wait for my next role to, to present itself. I'll make myself available three months max. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I did a bit of digging around about the business and I was chatting, uh, chatting to some, some peers of mine and it was one very trusted peer of mine. Um, he, he was listening to me and he just said, oh, Sophie, what are you talking about? Have you heard the way you're talking about that business? Is there a job going, Sophie? Is there a CEO job going? I said, well... I'm, I'm actually not sure because I met the CEO, but now I think it, he's going, what do you mean you don't know? Pick up the phone and ask for the job. <laughs> and I said, well, I can't do that. And he said, what, ask the question or do the job? And I was like, oh, well, I don't know on either. So what is it I'm assuming? Well, I'm assuming that I can't do it and I don't know that. And I'm assuming that I can't ask the question or I can definitely do that. So 
I literally walked out the door. It was I walked out the door of the lounge of the, the gym that I was in that wasn't one of one of one of the total fitness gyms, but it was a competitor. I literally walked out into the garden of the lounge there, picked up the phone to the shareholder, said, Is there a CEO job going? Can we talk about that? Because otherwise I'll be bored. I don't want to talk about anything less. Um, and they said, Well, we were thinking exactly the same, let's have a conversation. I uh, hung up the phone and walked back into the lounge and thought, well, that was like temporary madness. What happened there? <laughs> it was literally like I turned into somebody else for half an hour and then went back in, sat down, called my friend back and said, Dave, I've just asked for the job. And he said, well, what did they say? They said they want to have the conversation. So I actually didn't know I could. So that's my, my first big learning. And then back to this interview situation where I'd really stitched up the interview. I said, well, I didn't know I could. And then there's the, the question of, should I, should I run that business? And I thought long and hard about total fitness, whether or not I was the right fit. It's the industry again. Will I go in too hard? Will I go in too fast? Do I actually know what to do? Um, I thought I should. That's a business that could be brilliant. And it's got such a great social purpose that I'm so passionate about. Well, somebody should go and fix that business. Um, yeah, somebody's got to do it. Could I? Don't know. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's me or the job, so I might as well just give it a crack. Um, should I do it? Check. Um, all right, I'll give, it, I'll give it a crack. And that was that. So I just, I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to do it. And, you know, a year in, what's the impact been on me? I, I, I feel the power of overreaching. And I feel the power of being trapped by a limiting belief, which was, well, I didn't know if I could do it. And I, I tell this story in the PLP when we're talking about limiting beliefs and feedback. And um, I had some feedback once that was positive feedback. And that was, Sophie, you're a great number two. I couldn't do it without you. You'll always be a great number two. Very positive feedback. Ooh. What I did with it was turn it into, I will always be a number two. Yeah. I am not fit to be that CEO. And it was that, and it was that moment in that lounge of the gym with Dave on the phone saying, Sophie, what are you talking about? Where I actually thought, where does that come from? Where does that belief that I can't do it come from? Okay, yep, that's it. Do I know that? Is it a fact? Is it a possible fact? No. And that's, that's what I've learned, the power of limiting beliefs. I have to say it's really interesting, this. Uh, really interesting. For some reason, these sort of things are just sort of coming up at the moment. Let me ask you, if you, when you, you will move on. Once mm. you've got this to where it needs to go, you move on. Will you move on to a CEO role again? I don't know. Would you like to? I don't know. Would you go back to being a number two? No. Well, that's your answer then. <laughs> You've just got your answer. You? You're either going to retire or you're going to go as number one. Really interesting. Somebody I interviewed just before you. Mm. Um, really nice guy. Lovely Paul Danes. Very interesting. He, when I met him, was 17 years ago. He was top HR guy at Budgeons. Okay. Mm. And lovely, lovely guy. And he was saying that a few years ago, he was an MD of a company for a couple of years. And he said, 
I'm now, and he's now very senior HR, mm. and the best type of HR that sees him sees, sees mm. himself as a leader, walks the talk, lives and breathes leadership, but sees himself as a person who keeps challenging the CEO. And he said, that's where I want to be. That is what's right for me. Mm. I'm happiest doing that. And the other one, you may have met him, Steve Back. Yes. Another one. He went as, and was CEO of Summerfield. Mm -hmm. But now, finance, not HR. Mm -hmm. But he said, what I really like is being in that role where I'm supporting, challenging, questioning mm. the CEO. So it's interesting, but you wouldn't go back to being number two. I didn't think you would. I, I just... Um I don't know why I answered so firmly then. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, I guess one of the things that I've just thoroughly enjoyed is just fully owning, owning the role and really seeing people around me grow. It's just such a joy to bring people along. Yeah. It's so wonderful. And I think if I was ever in a role again where I was the number two and just supporting, I almost might get a little bit frustrated. And you if might not be able to manage I the decision, which you couldn't before, to develop the people in the way that you'd want to. Exactly. Because it, it requires such investment and such commitment yeah. um, and such wholehearted belief. It, that's very difficult to instill in somebody else from a number two position. Yeah. yeah. You know. So it's really interesting. Yeah. So I'm really curious. Um, do you think you're going to bring up your daughter any differently? With what you've now <laughs> learned? Um, well, I, th I think I do now. I think you learn so much as a delegate of the PLP about relationships with your children anyway. So those light bulbs started going off for me a year or so ago. Yeah. Um, and I guess then there's my leadership journey and my little girl, Harry, who's going to be nine on Friday. Going on 19. <laughs> um, will it change the way I bring her up? Um, yeah, probably. I think, I think it naturally has an impact anyway. It can't not because she doesn't see many girls like me. Um, she doesn't see many mummies like me in yeah. her friends' mummies. Yeah. Um, I can remember when I, I used to do a, a, a global role. Um, I went to parents' evening and met her teacher for the first time that, that in that, that, that academic year. And she said, oh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. We've been guessing what you do for a living. Are you an air hostess? <laughs> and um, I said, why do you ask? And she said, because we ask, we ask Harriet what you do for a living. And she said, she runs around the world. So we just assumed that you must be an air hostess. And I thought, well, I don't really know how to answer this one. I said, well, then I thought, Sophie, you've got to answer it honestly. So I said, I'm the global director for programming strategy at Fitness First. And <laughs> it, so I can't, I can't not have an effect on the way I bring up Harry from my leadership because she sees the way I am around people yeah. and she sees what I do for a living. So it can't not have an effect. It was hilarious. She was with my auntie, um, who is one of the most amazing women, um, last week. 
and um, I can't remember how it came up in conversation, but and I don't think I even told Harriet what I'd been doing. Well, I must have done. I can't. I can't remember. But she said to my auntie Liz, so my mummy, um, she uh, she addressed a conference in Europe about leadership as a woman, uh, because there aren't many women like my mummy. Um, so she inspires other people to uh, to do it too. And she's she's eight. <laughs> wow. It can't it can't not have an impact for the, you know for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. I don't know. They pick up so much. But she definitely challenges. She asks very straight questions, uh, which is glorious to see. Really. I'm curious. Do you get to do a gratitude book? Um, I don't get her to do a gratitude book, but I think I probably should. I think that's a great suggestion. <laughs> um, but I do think about with her every single time that I'm with her. We do talk about what what happened that was great today. So um, when I, I'm with her on the phone um, an awful lot. So when we talk about school, I talk about instead of, so what have you done today at school, darling? Which is such a difficult question to ask a small person over the telephone. Because yeah. they're like, rah, I don't know, forgotten. Um, what made you laugh the most today, Harry? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, what did you enjoy the most? What did you find the most challenging? What did you learn? What are you grateful for? Brilliant. Who did you play with that was the best? What did you see that was the most exciting? So I do try and sort of close a day when I'm not with her because I'll talk to her uh, at bedtime with some thoughts about well what was brilliant today so in some way I think I instill that in her so one other thing that I'm curious about I mean I was blown away by um, doing this conversation with Paul this morning he did the program 17 years ago can you believe surely not although we <laughs> all try and guess Paul's age he's like Father Christmas nobody knows how no, old he is no this is Paul Danes who you haven't oh, met Paul Danes no Danes, you haven't no. met he was a guy from Budgeons and fascinating because he obviously lives, breathes it, walks the talk every mm. single day. Um, and to him, holding on to it is key. I'm really curious, how are you going to do your damnedest to make certain that it becomes a living, breathing entity, this style of leadership in your company? Oh, my, we talk about it all the time. All the time. And I think that's because... The, the, that's partly, well, because I believe in it wholeheartedly, partly because... Um, I'm one of the master trainers for the business. Yeah. Um, and so it forms part of our vocabulary on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, we talk an awful lot about common language. And so, so much stuff from the PLP just becomes our common language. Yeah. It has become the way we hold each other to account. So it's the DNA of the business now? Very much. So we have our purpose. We, I, I've sort of built the people strategy in sort of layers, so we have the purpose, we have our values, and then we have the way we lead our business. And the links between that and the values are exceptional. We have one of our values is act with gratitude, for example. One of our values is inspire into action, which is about role ownership and encouraging others to thrive yeah. and all that good stuff. So as a CEO, having mm -hmm. this conversation with me, if you could... I'm a bit loath to lose the words, but I can't think of anything different. Give one bit of advice about how important leadership is to a CEO. What would you say? Well, it's the job. 
it, it's it's the job. Um, do you know what? It, it's it's one thing that I'll be I'll be talking to the business about when I gather them in a in a in a few weeks for for our leadership summit. I'll be talking to them about what I've learned this year, and I'll be telling them, you know, four or five stories about what I've learned about me mainly and what I've learned about our our great business. But one of the things I've learned is what's the job description? Nobody gives you a job description as CEO. Wow. You have a contract with your shareholders and nobody gives you a job description. So you sort of walk in on day one, a little bit like you said, you know, you get promoted into a manager position. So yeah. these waves of magic wand. It's exactly the same with a CEO role. You, nobody tells you what to do. And I've worked it out. We set the strategy for the business. That's fine. But you create the leadership culture for the business. Yeah. It's a two-line job description for me. And actually, if you can only do one of them, you drop the strategy and you build the leadership culture. Wow. Because then, you, you know, businesses have CSOs to look after strategy. Wow, that's pretty powerful. That's, that's my two-line powerful. job description. I don't know if the shareholders agree with it. I certainly didn't see it in my contract. But that's what I have come to learn about my job. Whether I'll say the same in five years' time, I don't know. I would think so. I would think so. How important do you think it is to have the right chairman? Exceptionally. It's like, and I, do you know what? I described the chairman role just this morning um, in relation to the integral performance model um, in that the chairman role holds the business to account in some ways. So it's a little bit like the balance between the I and the O um, has to be there to keep the business honest um, exceptionally important. Um, there has to be some level of uh, governance of the board. I don't like the word governance. It sounds really crunchy. Yeah. At the end of the day, a board's just full of people. But you're navigating that boardroom to make sure the decisions have integrity and the right amount of diligence. Um, and I find I didn't know what a chairman did. <laughs> Nobody tells you that either. No. So if you go and appoint a chairman, Oh, <laughs> I'm going shopping for a chairman. <laughs> uh, what, what am I looking for? <laughs> but I've worked it out uh, by finding a great chairman like Paul. Yeah. I know exactly what value he brings to our boardroom. But they're exceptionally important. He, you know, he gives very, very straight developmental feedback to me. And he, he manages the shareholders alongside me to make sure that we all get the best output. Because ma navigating that that difficult tightrope between shareholder agenda yeah. and management agenda yeah. requires somebody in the middle. The last business I worked for didn't have one. So the boardrooms were the, the, the private equity shareholders and the management, and it was tense and terse, and the agenda was always conflicted yeah. um, at the end of the day. So the chairman is exceptionally important. But the other thing that Paul does exceptionally well in, in our board meetings is he... He listens exceptionally well, yeah. but then he just comes in with these whoppers of questions that make me go, okay, I need to think about that. And I, I can't answer it right now, but I'm going to go away and I'm going to really think about that. So, so you're the first client that we've had in the health and fitness industry, okay? Just tell me, how critical do you think leadership is, which obviously it's currently not really done, but how critical do you think leadership is in the health and fitness industry? It, I think it's one of the reasons why I, I came 
back to well I never left the industry I tried to leave the industry but I think it's definitely one of the reasons I came back to the industry um for a start the industry is a it's a it's still pretty young but in a lot of ways it's pretty mature it's been through an awful lot of turbulence and there's a lot of sort of very mature operators that are still reeling from that turbulence so it needs very strong leadership um who are there needs to be a level of resilience and adaptability around about the whole industry. It's not an easy industry, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to be honest. So there's sort of that dynamic. But then when I talk about our business, it, it applies to, to the entire sort of uh, gym operators, if you like. So the, the, the fitness industry is pretty broad. But if we just think about um, health clubs and gyms, I, I say this about Total Fitness and I say, look, our business it starts and it ends with people it starts and it ends with people we are a people business we have real estate but you walk through the doors and you're greeted by people we are people leaders we lead people in our clubs our general managers and our HODs who lead other people our members to be better every day so there's a huge chain of people with a personal result at the end And that personal result at the end is exceptionally important because those people who walk through our doors, they have already woken up and looked in the mirror and thought, I'm not happy. I need to do something to change. I need to be better. So they put an awful lot of trust in our industry. And so this chain of people who deliver something that's exceptionally personal, that has very personal reasons, it has to be exceptionally strong. So when I talk about leadership at all levels, I really mean leadership at all levels. That sort of leadership chain is exceptionally important because there's a very important result at the end and there's people all the way along. Makes sense? Yeah, it not only makes sense, I find it now, when I think back over the other things you've been saying, I find it quite scary that your colleagues who are in other companies in the competition don't understand when you say the thing you focus on most of all is people. Mm, I mean... It's really interesting. It, it is. I mean, I wouldn't say they don't understand it. We talk an awful lot about people in the fitness industry because, because we, we are a service industry at the end of the day. But I think... One of the questions that you asked me is how important is it for you as a CEO to be the master trainer for the business? Well, and as I say, it's everything. You are the leadership philosophy and the leadership culture for the business. That is, if you were to reduce your job description from two lines to one, that is it for me. Um, But whether or not that's exciting enough for all CEOs in the industry, whether, whether or not that's what they've been appointed to do, whether or not that's their two line job description, I don't know, um, but it is to me. It's what it's what our business needs, and I believe it's what the industry needs. Having worked in it for a long time, I have to say, I hope I'm around in ten years because I can't wait to see where you end up in ten years. <laughs> I might just be walking a dog on a beach. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Oh, I'm tired of it all. <laughs> no, I don't. Somehow, I think so. I think you're going to impact so an amazing amount of an awful lot of lies. Mm. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll oh. see. So, um, so what are the awards that you're up for at the moment? <laughs> oh, Benny. Um, and do you know what? I get, re- I, I get a little bit embarrassed and not wanting to talk about it. I can't believe you've done that to me. But then again, 
I should show myself some self-appreciation and celebrate Correct. my greatness. Um, so I've been nominated for National Businesswoman of the Year um, in the National Business Women Awards. Um, so we'll be attending that award ceremony, having a couple of glasses of wine um, in um, in December next month. Uh, one of my clubs is up for um, UK Club of the Year for the entire industry. Um, I was named one of the top 100 women to watch in hospitality um, in the um, in the Women in Hospitality Index uh, last month which is pretty cool because it's totally, it's, it's cross-sector in the hospitality and leisure industry, which is a very, very big sector and doesn't, and has, has a lot of women in it, but doesn't have many CEOs. Um, so it's lovely to be recognised there. Um, and then we're, we're nominated for uh, transformational leadership. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's stuff, there's stuff going on. I mean, Sophie, it's amazing. It is. So I just want to say thank you very much for, for coming along to chat to me. You're welcome. There's one thing, though, before we wind up, that I would like to go out with on air. Okay. And that is this, that you are absolutely committed to go on developing you as a leader. Mm -hmm. And you've said that there's one thing that you'd like the opportunity to do. So I hope yes. everybody is listening to me here. <laughs> Sophie Wood has now got the experience of running programs in Total Fitness. She would like the experience of being able to run programs in a totally different industry. So if there's any of our wonderful clients out there who thinks that they would like the opportunity to have the amazing Sophie Lawler come <laughs> along and deliver a program in a very different industry, um, please can you contact me on penny at thelivingleader.com because... We have committed to saying we will help find one of our clients who would allow Sophie this opportunity to come and deliver a program in a very, very different industry. So thank you again, Sophie, and let's see no what happens worries. there. I'd Take love care. To. Thank you. So I hope you found that really interesting, um, listening to the very special Sophie Lawler who has now been a client for us for about 18 months and in that time has also become a very good friend. So I'm delighted that she found the time to come and talk with me today. So that's the end of the first podcast that we have actually done and now we're going to be moving on to the second one. And I'm delighted to be able to tell you that the next person that I'm going to be having a conversation with is... Somebody I would describe actually as a living leader, and that is Paul Stobart, who I first met 15 years ago when he was CEO of Sage. And we've had an interesting journey together ever since with the various companies that he's been in and done some turnarounds, and it's been a fantastic journey. He will be sharing with you um, his journey and very much the difference that he found between management and leadership. So another exciting opportunity. I hope that you really enjoy this one as well. And I'd like to just say a very big thank you to all of you who've listening. And please do remember, if you have any feedback or if there's any other people that you think you'd really like me to speak to or there's any other insights you think it would be useful for me to share with you, please do remember email me, penny at thelivingleader.com. And I look forward to meeting you all one day.